All right, welcome back to the channel today, ladies and gentlemen. And we're gonna be taking a break from the news today. And we're going to be looking at this, which has just been released from our least favorite organization, the WEF. And of course we have to use the abbreviation so we don't get even a strike from the video. Even though I'm just gonna be going over the data today, this has just been released. As you know, I always bring these documents to you, these reports, as and when I see valuable information that is going to help you. So this is the Chief Economist Outlook. It's just been released yesterday and I have gotten onto it straight away and gone through all of the data with my pens as usual, uh, destroyed my highlighter just going through this report. So we're gonna go to the shared screen now and I'm gonna start pulling out all of this data so that you can see what you need to be aware of, what are the warning signs and where the economies are going to be going. I don't think you'll be overly surprised with the majority of it because these are the exact same things that I've said without having the millions of data points that these guys have got at their disposal. So with that said, let's go over to the shared screen. And if you ever want to get any of these reports that I have, you can go over to weforum.org forward slash reports, and that's where I get all of these reports from. So we're gonna be looking at this one today, the Chief Economist Outlook for May 2023, just been released, and here we go. We're not gonna start with all the boring stuff, we're gonna jump straight in to the interesting stuff. Now the key word I would give you as we go through this presentation is uncertainty. That is what I'm picking up. Even though you have these expert chief economists, the actually the top chief economists from around the world that they've pulled together, they don't seem to agree on most things. So we're getting a lot of uncertainty in some areas and then some very worrying, disturbing, scary agreement in other areas. And of course, none of these areas benefit you or I. So let's look at point number one then. How likely is a global recession in 2023? And it's actually evenly agreed upon both ways in terms of the likelihood and the unlikelihood. So that isn't much use to us at all. But one point actually that is useful is that the IMF forecast global growth of 2.8% this year and annual average growth of 3% over the next five years. Now, the reason that's quite key is because look where they're seeing most of this growth. It is in China. That's where they're seeing it, as well as a number of emerging markets. So these are your developing countries. Now, this is worrying for a number of reasons. As we look at figure two here, this is economic growth. And if you haven't seen the pattern yet, you will in a moment. So what are they saying then? Well, they are seeing China as the clear winner for economic growth. Only 3% of these world leading economists actually see weak growth. So none of them said very weak growth in China. Everyone else said moderate, strong, and very strong. So you're talking about here 90 7% agreement that China will be the winner as we go forward. Now you look where else? East Asia and the Pacific, South Asia, then we have the Middle East and North Africa, Central Asia. What are these? These are all BRICS aligned countries. 
And then we look at the United States. So let's take a look here. Uh, very weak, weak. So that's 50% there, weak and very weak. And then we have 50% saying moderate and strong. So really you've only got 6% of respondents saying that there's gonna be strong growth for the United States. Sub-Sahara Africa, also expected to be weak. Latin America and the Caribbean, that's more of a mixed bag, but we can say because most of it is moderate and weak that we're not expecting strong growth there. But then look at the big one here, that is Europe. So for this is me and all of my European friends watching, weakness out of the respondents, only 25% said moderate, meaning that Europe is, as I have been forecasting for a while now, in big trouble. Another thing I pulled out of this, which I thought was quite interesting, if we look at where they say there's a lot of problems at the moment, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, etc. Well, isn't it ironic that these are the same countries that had interference in terms of farming and other monetary measures, and now they've got big problems? Hmm, interesting. Another thing I thought was quite interesting here was, as we go through this section, Nevertheless, the country's prospects have been somewhat clouded recently. This is about the United States of America by heightened uncertainty around financial stability and the pace and extent of monetary tightening. Recent developments in the labor markets, financial markets and property markets may point to stronger headwinds in the second half of 2023. Now, what have I been saying even way before this report came out, that we're gonna be looking at Q3, Q4 of 2023. But let's skip to cost of living now then, which is figure three. Looking ahead to the remainder of 2023, do you agree or disagree with the following statements? Statement number one, the cost of living will still be at crisis levels in many countries. We'll look at the agreement on this. It's a staggering 91%, or putting it the other way, because there is 15% of uncertainty, only 9% disagreed with that statement. Now, keyword here is crisis levels. It's not saying uncomfortable levels, it's saying crisis levels. Uh, point number two then, wage growth will pick up in most advanced economies. We had 24% disagree with that statement, 33% uncertain, and then we have 42% here, which either agrees or strongly agrees. This is also quite interesting when it talks about the pressures on developing economies where domestic price dynamics are exacerbated by currency depreciation. Where have you heard that before? For example, between Jan 2020 and 2023, food prices increased by as much as 46% in the Middle East and Central Asia. What does that mean? It doesn't mean uncertainty and crisis. It means starvation for those people in those regions. You haven't seen any of this on the mainstream media. What do they use? They use the word poverty. Well, poverty in the West is very different from poverty in developing nations. Let me assure you, I've seen it firsthand. Another crucial thing, which again is not in the ma mainstream media, it's important to note that while headline inflation rates are falling, measures of, here it is, core inflation, 
which strip out volatile price categories, including food and energy, and now you know why they keep omitting this from the data, have been increasing. Where have you heard this? For example, the latest data for the Eurozone put core inflation at an all-time high of 5.7% in March of 2023. Similarly, the US had 5.6% in the same period. So we are not being given the true account of inflation, which we know anyway from my investigations and doing on the street work and going into supermarkets and getting old receipts, etc. So we already know this. But let's move on to figure four then, which is global inflation. What is your expectation for inflation in the following geographies in 2023? And look at this, Europe, there isn't even zero percent that thinks we're going to have low inflation in Europe. Every single respondent, 100 percent, said either high or very high. Only 10 percent said moderate. It's the same sub-Saharan Africa. What does this mean that they are not saying? This means that a lot of people are going to starve, as is the same in Latin America. These are very closely correlated. The United States, also a major problem here, 68% said high inflation, 32% said moderate. And it's only once we get into, yet again, the BRICS-aligned nations where we are seeing lower levels of inflation. And again, China is the clear winner here. And we've been warning about China for a long time. We've been talking about this rise of China that is basically going to eat the West's lunch very soon if it's not already doing so, which I think it is. So the respondent said 48%. So bear in mind, this is almost half the respondents expect low inflation in China. Now, I want to move down to the second part of the report, which is financial sector tremors. And let's begin with this statement here. Uh, fears of systemic disruption have since abated, but vulnerability being revealed as rapid recent increases in interest rates begin to bite. Um, this is not accurate at all. So we've got a statement here from the WEF, which is actually different from the data you'll see in a moment. So we see a lot of propaganda through the media, but also these sort of reports as well. This is a, someone made this statement, it isn't accurate. Again, this is also not accurate. Broadly speaking, respondents express confidence in the systemic integrity of the banking sector, while also highlighting the likelihood of further episodes of disruption. Why is it that they always have to use uh, these big words? Respondents expressed confidence in the systemic integrity of the banking sector. Whenever they start using big words like this, you know this is out of a playbook. Since we all know that the banking sector is not integral and it is not stable. They also said 70% of respondents characterize recent distress in the banking sector as isolated episodes rather than indication of systemic vulnerability. That is again not true and if those guys really do think that then they are very wrong. The IMF then has warned that even isolated bank failures increase the likelihood of global economy having a hard landing. This statement is quite funny. Conversely, critics, oh, of course they have to label them critics, 
caution that the relatively generous support that was provided to stem the recent bout of disruption risk propping up zombie banks. I agree with this statement and storing up bigger losses for the future. Absolutely. Well, that's what we have right now. We have asset bubbles which are ready and waiting to pop. It is only a matter of time before these asset bubbles pops in this era of higher interest rates. Now let's look at figure five, distress in the banking sector. And they're asked, how would you characterize recent distress? Again, these are supposed to be the smartest minds on the planet of economics. And 70% of them here are absolutely wrong, wrong, wrong. These are not isolated episodes. This is systemic. And I highlighted that in, in recent videos, why it is systemic. It's systemic because the problem isn't small regional banks. The problem is the underlying conditions within the financial markets that have now changed. And with these changes, all of these businesses that have been operating at low levels and the banks of interest rates simply cannot maintain their business practices with higher rates. Figure six then, financial disruptions outlook. How likely are further bank failures or other serious financial disruptions in 2023? So this is this year. Only 3% said extremely likely. So this tells you again, uh, it, it's mind blowing really that the propaganda has gone that deep that even these people who are the leading experts, only 3% were correct on this because what happened just uh, this week or over the weekend that's just gone, another bank failure. So only 3% got that right. And then 64% said somewhat likely. If they asked me, I would have said certain, 100% certainty. And 27 were not sure. And then we had 6% that said unlikely. Yeah, I wonder what they thought after they saw this week's news. And that's without even taking into account the other two banks are looking shaky today. Now, the report has picked up on a good point here, which is what I mentioned uh, last week. Businesses will find it more difficult to obtain bank loans in the wake of this year's financial disruption. That is correct. And it's gonna be mainly prevalent in the United States and the Eurozone. That is an accurate statement. So of course, we're gonna see a lot more business failures as those businesses that are uh, somewhat zombie, if you understand the expression, their zombie companies begin to fail under the weight of higher interest rates and therefore higher debt payments, which they cannot pass on to customers. And this is what I find interesting about these chief economists. They get some things completely right, but then other things they get them completely wrong because I think it's based on all of this media that they watch every single day which they're not using their own logic and common sense. Instead, they're leaning too heavily on this media, which is completely biased and heavily owned by several small companies, which obviously put out things which benefits the, the group and the stocks in, in general across the board of those companies. So here's one thing they have got mainly right, and that is the impact of these disruptions. So the question is, recent financial disruptions means businesses will find bank lending more difficult to secure. And if you look at the numbers here, 82% are accurate because they agreed with that statement. I'm not sure what these other people were doing. Maybe they were out to lunch, they weren't listening. 
but I mean, it's blatantly obvious to see, it's all in the data. And then the second part was about a slowdown in investment in the tech sector. Again, same sort of respondent, and that is, again, accurate. We'll jump ahead then to figure nine, because this is quite key, it's on monetary policy. Central banks will face a trade-off between managing inflation and maintaining banking sector stability. Well, again, you have these 21%. I think these are the ones that they should uh, fire these chief economists because they seem to be voting the same way all the time, trying to play it safe. But if you look at the others, they are correct on their agreement with this statement. Uh, next one, interest rate rises will slow in the face of financial stability concerns. And I think this is quite a mixed bag. Uh, they are mostly in agreement and strongly in agreement. But I would say that they should be more on the fence with this and be more in the uncertain phase. Because remember, there's a lot more going on here than just the financial stability concerns. Because this actually works both ways. It's not just about the economy in general, it's also about the bank's assets. So th they've sort of got this predicament at the moment where they've got to balance the risk of the bank assets collapsing, which will then create an even bigger crisis versus the economy collapse. In fact, it's all intertwined anyway. But, but as I've been saying for a long time, we are not going to escape this massive recession slash depression that is on the way. Yeah, they can keep pushing it down the line, but it is coming. You can only hold off the flow of water for so long before it eventually breaks the defenses. And then again, they are correct in the most part that central banks will struggle to bring inflation to their target rates. They are correct on that. I want to read this out as well because this is quite interesting. Even if there is a dovish shift in the stance of the world's central banks, the prospects of a full-scale shift to monetary loosening are remote. The era, so pay careful attention to this, the era of ultra-low rates has ended and if higher rates have already contributed to a number of collapses in the banking sector, the question arises as to where else there may be vulnerabilities in the face of elevated borrowing costs. And they have correctly identified one of those places, which is the property markets, which we talked about yesterday. This is going to create the perfect storm when this trillions of dollars of debt comes up for refinancing very shortly in a period of higher interest rates. And we can see from figure 10 the impact then on each of these markets. So property markets, 0% actually said there will be no disruption. So 100% of respondents said there will be disruption to property markets. So straight away, that should, if you own commercial property, retail property, that should tell you which way this is heading so you can slightly get ahead of the game in whatever you're gonna do there. But the, the same with a lot of these other areas, by reading these reports and being a subscriber on this channel, I guess we can say, and taking my finance course if you haven't already, and being a, a member of the private community, you can get ahead of all of these things just by studying the reports and studying the videos that I put out. Because we are heading in for some difficult times here, Look at this, this is no disruption, this sort of whatever color we're gonna call this, it's like a brown olive. It's exceptionally high across all of these sectors. 
the labor markets are the ones that are going to see the least amount of disruption at the moment because of the issues in that marketplace. We still don't have enough workers in the marketplace, which is holding up the labor markets. But it's very clear here, there are already signs of strain in the commercial property markets. Transaction volumes globally are down 17% and US listed REITs are down 14 and 20% on the year in the first quarter of 2023. This is also important, this statement. If a slump in commercial property values were to cause a spike in bad loans, or we should replace that word, when a slump in commercial property values causes a spike in bad loans, it will have a cascading impact in parts of the US banking system. So these are your smaller banks where we're gonna see a lot more failures yet to come. This was particularly true in the immediate wake of the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Despite stock markets remaining relatively flat, the market, uh, this, is, this is good, for US two-year treasuries plunged into uncharted territory with yields collapsing by just more than half a percentage point on one day alone. Key statement, a bigger one-day move than had been recorded even at the height of the global financial crisis. Okay, let's go on to the very last page then as we wrap up. And this is the changing face of globalization. This subsection looks at the growing prevalence, here we go, this is worrying, of industrial policies that seek to give the state, i.e. the government, a renewed prominence in national and global economic development. Okay, let's just throw this out there straight away. No, that is the absolute worst thing you can do is to give all of this over to the government and the state. That is how you almost guarantee a collapse of the economy. Just look at other countries that did that and they pretty much collapsed or ended up with hyperinflation. Industrial policy then, this is the last graph and we'll wrap up. Over the next three years, they were asked that if the government does take over, will this deepen geoeconomic rivalry and tension? And the answer was, look at this, the blue and dark blue, likely and extremely likely, 90% said that this will create rivalry and tension, i.e. that could mean military conflict. And then it sort of tapers off downwards from here, so economic policy globally, stifle competition, yes, because that's what happens, because these government officials will uh, be uh, lobbied and they'll give out favors and all sorts of other things and they'll create more monopolies, which is worse for consumers. This is just history and, and data, we know this will happen. It will also lead to a problematic increase in sovereign debt levels, which we can't afford right now. We're already in some of the highest debt levels since, well, World War II at least, in terms of debt to GDP ratios, lead to significant relocation of economic activity. Yeah, that means whatever they feel like, you know, reallocating to, ESGs and all sorts of things. They'll probably start making some other sort of credit system, not just the carbon credit system, which makes these people that control it an absolute fortune. You'll probably have some sort of a social credit system and you buy social credit points like they do in, in China now. So overall, this is not looking good, my friends. And I'm no lover of the WEF as you no, 
but I think they've got some good data in that report. And as always, you don't wanna follow what they say, you wanna look at what they put out in order to warn you of what they are planning or what they are doing amongst all these chief economists and all the different governments and all these member states and everyone else who they've said they are influencing with their, with their policies. So this is why you wanna read these things. And again, you can find that report on their website and stay up to speed because it does give you really good indications of what is next to come. But of course, by being a subscriber here on the channel, you will get that information from me as and when it is available. Thank you so much for being a subscriber here. Thank you for those of you who have checked out my course below in the description and the private community. And apart from that, I will see you tomorrow for the favorite video of the week, the weekly walk and talk. See you then.